0: return of the midweeks happy monday glad you're back thanks for tuning in to the midweeks we're in the book of samuel again if you're with us last time you might remember that it was saul's great victory where he defeats the ammonite king nahash and rescues jabesh gilead and is therefore established as the ruling king over Israel by the people. It's his high point. And now in chapter 12, we're going to have a chapter where Samuel is actually going to rebuke the people again for desiring to have a king. So this is kind of the Lord's last big, you made a mistake before. We're just going to roll through with this kingship and go through a few centuries of ups and downs with kings ruling over the people of God. This is Samuel's speech here, and we're going to read it. It's a bit longer, so I might not go in-depth as much in some areas. You can just bear with me. But the big idea is that Samuel's going to rebuke the people afresh for wanting a king. And in this chapter, we find out why they wanted a king for real, for real. Because that, that information's been held on to. It's been uh, gapped until this time. So, without any further ado, chapter 12. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice, and all that you said to me, and have made a king over you. And now behold, a king walks before you, and I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am, Testify against me before the Lord, and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken, or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed, or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. And they said, You have not defrauded us, or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and, has anointed, and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. Okay, so he's starting off this conversation. So he, he gives the context. I'm old and gray. I'm, I'm ending my career. I'm ending my ministry here. He's really handing over his um, judgeship permanently here. From now on, Saul's going to be the leader of Israel. Samuel's going to be around to offer support, um, to be there when Saul blows it. He's going to be around to anoint David as king, but he's no longer functioning as the leader of the people. This is his farewell address. And he says... I've done what you wanted, you wanted a king and I did it for you, so he doesn't take responsibility for it. And he says, you've got the king now, my sons are with you, his sons never appear again in scriptures as far as I remember, so they've become nothing burgers because of their willingness to take bribes. And then he has this long speech asking if anybody has caught him doing anything bad, if anybody has any reason to suspect or reject him, any complaint against him, and the people say, nope, Um, You haven't done anything wrong here. You've been a good leader. And you might notice here when I was reading it, a couple of times he talks about the anointed. So a few times he's starting to refer to the king as the Messiah. The anointed, that's what anointed means. It means someone anointed with oil, and particularly somebody anointed with oil to serve the God, serve God. The anointing oil representing authority as well as the presence of God's spirit. And so Saul is being referred to here as the Messiah. He's not the great Messiah, he's not the Messiah Jesus, the Christ, but he's the first king Messiah in Israel history. And Samuel said to the people, the Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. So he's going to describe all of God's acts of faithfulness and rescue that he's done in their history. When Jacob went into Egypt, and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Mohib, and they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We've sinned because we've forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. And now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel. So he includes himself in the judges. And delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you lived in safety. Okay, so this is all of um, Israelite history starting from Egypt through to entering the promised land, through to the times of the judges, he skims over this. Well, not skims, but he quickly works through this saying, God kept sending you rescuers. And if there was ever a problem, it was because you turned away from the Lord to worship the Baals or the Ashtaroth. But when you turned back, God kept sending you you rescuers, including me. Verse 12. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was king. Ah, okay, here we go. This whole long story of establishing a king and the people wanting a king, like all the nations. Where did this actually start? Well, now this information was gapped. We didn't get it at the beginning of the story. We get it now. Samuel is accusing them and revealing that it was actually fear of the king of the Ammonites, Nahash, that caused them to want a king of their own. It wasn't just that they thought it up one day. They saw, and they were intimidated, and they were afraid of the king of the Ammonites, and they wanted their own king to fight against the king of the Ammonites, and that's why they turned away from the Lord being king in order to have a king of their own. Ah, now we see here. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen for you for whom you've asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. So it's been done. You wanted a king? Here's your king. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king, now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Okay, so here's the big issue for Samuel. As he's retiring, after all these years of sending rescuers, now you wanted a king and you got a king. He, he makes this point. The king can't save you from your own unbelief. The king can't save you from your rebellion against God. He can save you from foreign kings, sure, But if you and the king rebel against God, even foreign kings will still have victory over you. The king can't save you from your own unbelief. If you're unbelieving and rebel against God, it will be like you don't have a king. The king can't save you from your own unbelief. That's the point of what he just said there. You you and the king both need to be in faith, need to be faithful to the Lord and nothing's changed. Even though you have a king now, that has not changed. You need to be faithful to God. And so what's this great thing? Verse 17, is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, and asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. So during the wheat harvest, it was Probably would have been a bit more of a dry season. You don't want to harvest during uh, wet weather because the crops will spoil. So this was supposed to be the dry season when they're going to do their harvest. But now all of a sudden there's thunder and rain. So there's unseasonal bad weather and the people um, see it and they're greatly afraid. And so this is their response, verse 19. And all the people said to Samuel... Pray for your servants, to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all the sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. So now they're really struck. Before, when Samuel warned them, they still wanted it now. They've seen this great work of bad weather. They've, they've finally been struck to the heart that they wanted a human being to be their savior instead of God himself. Verse 20, and Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid, you have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people, for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make a people for himself. Okay, so here is this great theology. One of the things that we wanted to do in looking at this book is see the character of God. And Samuel is telling the people, your ultimate hope is in the fact that God has chosen you. Their ultimate hope is that God is a God who does not forsake his people for his great name's sake. And he's been pleased to take you. And this touches on one of the great themes of all of Scripture is that God cares about his own glory. He cares about his namesake. He cares about his name being known and lifted up. And so Samuel's saying, even in the midst of this sin of looking for a king, depend on the Lord for his own namesake. He will not forsake his people. And right now, Samuel's being a lot like Moses with Israel when Israel built the golden calf after getting delivered from Egypt. They made this golden calf while Moses was away. God says, I'm going to wipe out this people. And Moses says to God, don't do it for your namesake. Everyone's going to think that you're this God who brought Israel out just to destroy him. For your own namesake, don't destroy the people. And we learn about God that that he acts for his namesake. He acts with grace um, for the sake of his own name. So sometimes he acts because people are being humble. He gives grace to the humble. But God will also... Be gracious for the sake of His own glory and for the sake of His name, and so that's what Samuel's saying here. Don't be afraid. God's name is greater than your sin, and God will um, not forsake you for the sake of His own name. Verse 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you will still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. So, so much great theology here. Samuel's saying, even in the midst of your sin, I'm going to keep praying for you. So Samuel's got the heart of a priest. He exists to pray for the people to ask for mercy for the people, to pray for forgiveness for the people. He exists to help the people stay in relationship with God and God to stay in relationship with people. So he says, I'm not going to cease to pray for you, even though I'm stepping back from being the judge. I'm going to still be a prayer warrior on your behalf, and I will still teach you the way you should go. But he says, there's only so much I can do. You have to serve the Lord faithfully with all your heart. And so he keeps saying, it's about your faith. You got to want to, you got to serve the Lord with your heart and remember how good he has been to you through all of these generations. Because if you're unbelieving, verse 25, if you still do wickedly, you'll be swept away, both you and your king. So that's the end of the chapter. Great big idea. Um, The king can't, The human king can't save us from our sin. Now, this is different than Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who came and died for our sins. And so he really can save us from our sins. And he sends the Holy Spirit to give us a new heart a few chapters ago. God made Saul have a new heart. And the Holy Spirit can give us a new heart. So Jesus is greater than the first Messiah because he's the one who truly can save people from themselves, save them from their sin, save them from their unbelief. Uh, Saul could not do that. He could only fight against kings, but he couldn't make the people believe in the Lord and he couldn't save the people from their sin against the Lord. But we have such a greater king who really does rescue us from ourselves, rescue us from our sin, and bring us into a place where we stand under the grace of God But because of the faithfulness of Jesus on the cross. So we have a much better king who really does forgive our sins. And he, our king Jesus is like this Saul as well, who never stops praying for us. He never stops praying for us. That's what Romans 8 says. Jesus is interceding for us right now. Even when we sin, he never stops praying for us and leading us in the way we should go. What a great king we have.